Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie. And this is episode 126, Have Exile, Will Travel. And before we get started, I've got an announcement that I'm super excited about, so I have to share it with you. We've been nominated for the Best Educational Podcast of 2013. Voting is going to open up in a couple days. It starts on November 1st, and you can vote every day, once per day, for two weeks. So November 1st through November 15th. So if you're inclined to vote for us, you can do so over at podcastawards.com starting on November 1st. Anyways, I'm really excited. Thank you so much for nominating the show. It really helps us out a bunch. And also, it's just really nice to know that you like it so much. So thank you very much. And now let's get on with the show. Okay, when we last left off, the exile from Deira, Edwin, had been on the run for quite some time. The king of Bernicia, Aethelfrith, now occupied the throne held by Edwin's father, and his father's father, and so on and so forth. Edwin's sister, Acha, had given birth to a child with a man who was now hunting him, and we aren't sure what the circumstances to that were. His nephew, Hereric, had been poisoned at the court of Cheritich of the Elmet. Edwin had married a Mercian princess, possibly as a condition to ensure his safety, and an attempt to build alliances with the common enemies of King Aethelfrith. War had broken out between his former home and the British kingdoms that offered him safety. And things had been turning against the British and towards Northumbria, with the British kingdoms of Wales being effectively cut off from their compatriots to the north following the Battle of Chester. Then you have King Iago of Gwyneth, who was now dead, as well as a number of other British leaders who had stood against this menace that had risen in the north. So we have Edwin trying to put together an insurgency, but his list of options were growing thin. The British just couldn't break King Aethelfrith, and now an Anglian kingdom had made it as far west as the Irish Sea. That had never happened before. So it probably seemed unlikely that salvation would come from the west. But there was another option. In the south, King Aethelfrith had a counterpart. A man who desired the title of Bretwalda. And with the recent death of Aethelbert of Kent, a way had opened up for him to claim that title. And so, Edwin's improbable journey had led him from the court of Deira, to exile, to North Wales, through the Midlands, and now to East Anglia all while being pursued by one of the most powerful kings in all of Britain. And as luck would have it, King Raidwald accepted him in and offered him guest rights. And it's possible that Raidwald just liked the Vagabond Prince. But there was also a solid political advantage to taking Edwin in. Like I touched on last week, this would go a long way in demonstrating his personal greatness and his worth as a Bretwalda. And Aidwald of Kent... Chinigils of Wessex, or any number of other kings might have also had designs on the title of Bretwalda. Don't forget that while Kent was dominating Essex at the time of Aethelbert, those days were over, and Sabert's three pagan sons were now dominating Essex, and that kingdom continued to control the lucrative and politically potent town of London. Things were not guaranteed with this many powerful leaders in the south, and Raidwald might have needed to prove that he was the greatest among them, both militarily, but also in honor. Also, King Aethelfrith of Northumbria was a concern. He was growing in power, but wasn't all-powerful yet. He hadn't absorbed all of the North, but it didn't take a genius to see that he might have wanted to do exactly that. So Raidwald might have been thinking that it would be a good thing to stop him right here, 
or at least check his power, rather than allowing him to unify all of the north and then start looking south. And what better way to check Aethelfrith's power than to keep a rival faction alive and keep the Northumbrian king focused upon internal dynastic struggles? Overall, there were plenty of political upsides to this move. But there was a downside too. War. If things went poorly, he could end up at war. And then who knows what happens? He could lose his kingdom, his life. The stakes in warfare were incredibly high. After all, he wouldn't be sending some kid in a farming community to fight on his behalf. He'd be on the battlefield himself. And that might sound awesome in theory, especially from our vantage point where all this stuff sounds cool and heroic and like something out of a movie. But battle was quite real, quite personal, quite chaotic, and quite dangerous. So there were all kinds of things in play here. And then it all came to a head when a messenger from King Aethelfrith of Northumbria arrived. And he brought with him riches that could be Raidwalds if he just granted the king in the north a simple request. Hand over Edwin or have him killed. The temptation was probably quite real. There's a lot that he could do with those riches. Don't forget that this was a gifting society. With those treasures, he would be able to reward his thanes and loyal supporters with beautiful accessories for their weapons and armor. He would also be able to enhance his own appearance. We learned a lot from the Staffordshire Horde, and if you remember back to those episodes, you'll probably remember how we learned that the Werod, the warband, were essentially the king's psychopathic peacocks. In addition to being powerful warriors, they were expected to be beautiful and shining, and none more than the king himself. And these warriors also expected to be given gifts for their loyal service. So taking a bribe might not grant Raidwald the same stature as standing up to the king in the north and defeating him. But when it comes down to it, he would still gain a lot. And he could probably just hand out gifts and have a lot of the same benefits, all without risking defeat. And as we saw with kings like Chawlin of Wessex, who was a Bretwalda himself, failing to be successful in warfare, and don't forget, nothing is guaranteed once the swords get pulled, failing to be successful in warfare could result in a massive reversal of fortune for the king. The last thing you want to do is lose a battle. And if Raidwald was intelligent, and we have no reason to believe that he wasn't, all of these things were probably swimming around in his head. Not to mention the cultural motivations, notions of nobility, notions of manhood, and personal biases, like what he thought of Aethelfrith or Edwin. And any number of other things were probably also weighing in. And of course, he probably had people in court who had their own thoughts on what he should do or not do. So this was probably a pretty heavy decision for the king. And like we spoke about last week, these people were not demigods. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't know how things would end, and they didn't know what the right course was. But in the end, he was king, and he needed to make a choice. And so Raidwald refused Aethelfrith's offer. And Aethelfrith sent another message, with another bribe, again asking for Edwin to be delivered or killed. Raidwald refused that one also. Then Aethelfrith sent a third messenger, and told the great king in the south that he had a choice. Either he could accept the gifts and deliver Edwin, dead or alive, or he would find himself at war. 
Well, there it is. Now, King Raidwald was powerful, and he had the support of a great number of kingdoms in the south as well as his own thanes. But was he powerful enough? Even if he could win this battle, would the cost be too great? Would it be a Pyrrhic victory that would eventually lead to his downfall? If too many thanes die for too little gained, especially if all he gained was that Edwin survived, would they turn on him? Again, the life of Chawlin of Wessex might have provided a guide in this. We're told that Chawlin won his last battle against the British, but then he retreated to his own territory, which makes it sound like this battle was so costly that he couldn't hold on to the lands that he won. And it wasn't too long after that loss that he found himself deposed, and then he lost his life while fighting an internal war, probably to try and take back his throne. So, not that great of an end. And also an excellent lesson in why you don't want to win Pyrrhic victories. You want to win decisive victories. So Raidwald probably knew that a bloody battle without any gain to be shown to his thanes could result in him facing a similar situation. And really, what would he gain? Edwin would be alive? Well, that's great, but that's going to be a hard sell. Maybe he could secure his overlordship over the kingdom of Lindsay, which was to the north of him and to the south of Northumbria. And Northumbria probably had designs on the kingdom of Lindsay themselves. But he could probably only pull that off if he won decisively. If this was just a brutal fight without an undisputed champion, what would change other than potentially angering his supporters and making him look really weak to the other southern kings that might well have liked to have the title of Bretwalder for themselves? And honestly, there was a great deal of loot that could be gained from Aethelfrith's offer. And like we talked about a few minutes earlier, that was its own reward. So, Raidwald decided that it was time to hand Edwin over. He probably figured that he played a good game. He had gained material advantage as part of the deal, and that he could come out ahead without having to risk any bloodshed. That's my guess anyways, but whatever the reason... Raidwald decided that Edwin would go north, and, presumably, die. And as is the case with relationships, Raidwald shared this with his partner. We aren't told her name, but we know that the Queen of the East Angles used to be a princess from Wessex. And if we are to believe some of the theories, she had already demonstrated that she was a powerful influence upon Raidwald. I say that because some scholars claim that it was her guidance that led to Raidwald's rejection of Christianity and devotion to the gods of his parents. Basically, Raidwald's wife was no wallflower. She was a force to be reckoned with. And we are told that she was not impressed by her husband's decision. Not one bit. The basic gist of it is, is that she was appalled that she'd married such a callow man who would so quickly abandon his duties and honor simply out of a desire for treasure and a fear of battle. I love Raidwald's wife. And I think it's a crying shame that we don't know her name. And we really should. In some ways, she feels like a Bretwalda. She was influencing religious decisions, political decisions, even warfare. What more was there to ruling? Raidwald might have been wearing the armor on the battlefield, but it really does look like they were ruling this kingdom together, doesn't it? And that they just weren't able to do so openly because of how Anglo-Saxon society was becoming rather stratified when it came to gender. And I suspect that what we're seeing here is basically one ruler balking at the decisions of another ruler. 
But there is another possibility, though it is pure speculation. What if Raidwald and his wife were in cahoots, and they both wanted to go to war? What if he was being pressured by his thanes to hand over Edwin, his thanes not wanting to fight, and then his queen goes and chastises Raidwald, and thereby his thanes by connection, for lacking honor and taking this course? The thanes then would be able to save face, but they still felt the pressure for war. And then Raidwald would get his fight with Aethelfrith, and he wouldn't have to call out any of his thanes, and thus probably wouldn't have to risk an insurrection against him. And he had every reason to want war. Despite how risky warfare was for Raidwald, he might have realized that now was the time to strike, and that if he wanted to be the undisputed Bretwalda, he needed to move now, like right now. Any delay, and Aethelfrith was only going to get more powerful. And I can absolutely imagine Raidwald and his wife working in concert to sneakily pull off their political goals, sort of like a highly political version of, I really don't want to stay forever at this dinner. Can you make an excuse so we can get out of here? But it's all speculation. And all we can be really sure of is that Raidwald's wife wasn't pleased about the idea of handing over Edwin. And she was quite vocal about it. And I really like the fact that even though Raidwald was a Bretwalda, or at least he hoped to be Bretwalda, he was also a human being, and he really didn't want to disappoint his partner. That's a very human thing, and I love it. And I love how tough she was, telling him exactly what she thought, regardless of his power or position. And Raidwald did what I think most people would do when their partner points out that they've been totally letting the side down. He felt bad, and he fixed the issue. If Aethelfrith wanted a war, he would get one. Now, Aethelfrith might not have anticipated this. And actually, war was not entirely advantageous to the powerful king of the north. Things were not perfectly stable at home. True, Aethelfrith was compelling many of his British neighbors to provide him tribute. But how eager would they be to fight for him? When you look at it from their perspective... They were being bullied by a king who simply ruled over a small and rather unimpressive kingdom to the southwestern corner of a belt that contained many more British kingdoms than Anglian. Kingdoms that should be more powerful than Bernicia. But they were giving him tribute, and he had isolated and separated them. This king had already grown out of control and was destabilizing the entire region. And it wasn't just the British but it was also the Picts and the Irish kingdoms that were feeling threatened by all of this, and they had experienced firsthand what happened when you gave Aethelfrith an inch. The defeat at Dexistan was probably not forgotten. It was only about a decade ago. And though they managed to kill Aethelfrith's brother, Theobald, they still lost the battle. And even worse, Aethelfrith immediately remarshaled his strength, and the following year, he took Deira. This guy moved fast really fast. How much more power did they want to give him? So Aethelfrith might have had some difficulty getting his sub-kings and newly conquered thanes to call up their werons. I mean, Aethelfrith had all the symptoms of a tyrant, and they very well might have been concerned with what happens if he had control of all of the kingdoms on both sides of the Humber. So, as usual, things in the north were, you know, a bit messy. But in the south honor would be satisfied. Raidwald had offered Edwin guest rights, and Aethelfrith had demanded that their king either betray his honor or he would bring war upon them. Did he think that the men south of the Humber were cowards with no sense of right and wrong? 
This demand, this threat, could not be left unanswered. But Raidwald would need support if he were to withstand the Northern Army that would inevitably march against him. He almost certainly knew that Aethelfrith had won a great number of victories in battle, and that his warbands were well-bloodied veterans at this point. Raidwald now, more than ever, needed his thanes and subkings. He needed the Weirods, so he called for them. And he was not a man to be refused. So they came. And then they marched. The men of East Anglia were no cowards, nor were they weak. And their strength and bonds were probably reinforced in ritual feasts as they gathered and marched to the battlefield. His trusted Hearthwarod, Thanes, and others were probably brought together at least once, and quite possibly several times, on their way north. At these feasts, their bonds of fealty and brotherhood would have been reinforced through the sheer majesty of the event. Great warriors, whose names had become commonplace around the fire, would have stood and made oaths before the Bretwalda. And younger warriors, who had no deeds attached to their names, would have been under a tremendous amount of pressure to do the same. And they would have been all too aware that their weapons, many of which would have been heirlooms or gifts from their thanes or king, had names and honor of their own. And they could not betray that. Chenwolf had used this mighty sword to slay five men in a single battle before he died. And now it was Unferth's sword. What right did he have to betray that memory by succumbing to cowardice? If Chenwolf had slain five men, Unferth would need to slay at least six. And after drinking all that ale and mead and wine, he was feeling brave. Brave enough to say so. An oath was made. And now honor dictated that he do everything he could to accomplish his goal or die trying. The march north was probably filled with moments like that. But now, in late summer or early autumn, the army of Raidwald had reached the southern border of Deira. They were on the banks of the River Idol. And Edwin had been homeless for far too long. For 14 years, a usurper had occupied his father's throne, his throne. And for much of that time, he had lived as a vagabond prince going from kingdom to kingdom forever hunted. He had lost so much in his flight. His king was dead. Edward's own sister had been, in all likelihood, captured by Aethelfrith. His nephew had been murdered while in exile. Who knows how many other members of his family had been killed in this dynastic struggle, and he had not been able to even properly mourn his fallen kin, running from court to court. And as he ran, he had seen the kingdoms that offered him shelter find themselves embroiled in bitter and brutal wars with this usurper. He was all too aware of how close he had come to death. But now he stood on the banks of the River Idol, right on the border of his homeland, his rightful kingdom, and he was not alone. King Raidwald, Bretwalda, had amassed an enormous army, with the great king commanding one detachment, his son Regan Hera commanding another, and the third? The third was under Edwin's personal command. He was nearly home, and all that stood in his way was the army of Aethelfrith. And the great force from the north was disorganized. They lacked the clean lines of Raidwald's army. 
but they compensated for that deficit with sheer numbers. The Army of the North was vast and experienced. And while honor may dictate allowing the Northumbrians to organize, this tyrant from the North had abandoned honor long ago. His treatment of the British monks, his shameless attempt to purchase the murder of his foes, this man had not earned the right to engage in ritual combat. No rods of hazel would be laid down, no opportunity to line his forces, nothing. If Aethelfrith wanted a war, then he would have one. And Raidwald's army was ready. It was hungry. His werods stood on the bank of the river, the light glinting off their armor, causing the garnet cloisonne to ignite like fire. His men were disciplined, well-trained, and aching for the chance to once again prove their worth. And so Raidwald ordered the advance. The sight of the southern army marching so soon must have surprised the king from the north. But this was not his first battle. And besides, he had an advantage. All he wanted was the death of Edwin. And he saw the exiled prince commanding a Werod. So Aethelfrith ordered his forces to charge in open formation and focused everything upon a single point, a single detachment. Their goal was simple, kill Edwin of Deira. Battle was pitched, bloody, and deeply personal. Sword and spear flashed, shields broke, leather armor tore as did the flesh beneath it. This was not the impersonal legions of Rome. This was gang warfare. And as disorganized as Aethelfrit's forces may have been, they were still experienced warriors who had defeated every army that had been brought against them. And they cut through the Werod, and they slew their target where he stood. Aethelfrith must have let out a mighty cry of victory as he finally managed to kill the man he had been hunting for years. Some distance away, King Raidwald watched in horror as his son, Regan Hera, not Edwin, was butchered by Aethelfrith. Aethelfrith's gambit had failed. He had killed the wrong man. And now his army, already disorganized, was also overextended. Enraged at the death of his son, the great king of the south charged towards the forces of Aethelfrith, cutting his way through them. Edwin of Deira and his men moved into support, but King Raidwald and his Hearthwarod were too powerful, too skilled, too outraged. And they cut through King Aethelfrith's tired and bloodied men and tore the usurper and his forces to shreds. Aethelfrith came incredibly close to wiping out the last of this rival dynasty, but now, he found himself bleeding out on the banks of the River Idol, and his own sons fleeing the battlefield and into exile. Edwin of Deira and King Raidwald, Bretwalda, stood victorious. At last, it was over. I have been looking forward to telling that story since even before I began this podcast. It's one of my favorite forgotten moments in British history. So I hope you enjoyed it. Now, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me at thebritishhistorypodcast at gmail.com. You can also join us on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash britishhistory. You can also join us on the forums. Just go to my site and click get involved and click forums. And there's always Twitter. We're at British Podcast. And we also have a Tumblr. And all of these things offer something different. The Tumblr is a lot of fun. There's a lot of just fun and interesting things that are being shared on there. So if you want to find us on Tumblr, just look for BritishHistoryPodcast.tumblr.com. I think you'll like it. All right. I think that's about it. Thanks for listening.
Oh hey, we just lost another person from the line of Ida. So you know what that means.